Hello, this is Pastor Aaron Shepherd, and you are listening to the sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church, the church by the park in East Walpole, Massachusetts. At Union, we believe in the power of God's word. And so whether you are able to join us when we gather each week at 1015 on Sunday mornings, or whenever or wherever this podcast finds you, I hope that you are inspired anew to deeper faith and greater resolve by the message of the gospel. Our current sermon series is called The Saints of Summer. Throughout this summer, we are assembling an all-star lineup of both well-known and less well-known people whose lives proclaim the good news of God's grace. Here's this week's message. This the first ordained Native American minister in the New England colonies. In light of this, the scripture reading is from the First Nations version of the New Testament, a special translation created by the Intertribal Council of Ministries and lay people just published in 2021. Here is the reading of Romans 6, the verses. If we have died with the Chosen One, that is Christ, we believe we will also live with Him. For we know that once the Chosen One has raised to life from the dead, He will never die again. Death no longer has the power to rule over Him. He died once for all to bring an end to humanity's broken ways. The life He now lives is a life that brings honor to the Great Spirit. So think about yourself in the same way, dead to broken ways and alive to the Great Spirit in harmony with the Chosen One, Creator set free, Jesus. You must know that if you follow a path, you will end up where it takes you. Which path will you follow? Do you follow the path of broken ways that leads to death, or the path that leads to good standing in the eyes of the Great Spirit? When you follow your old ways, you did not even think about walking in a sacred manner. But what good came from the things you are now ashamed of? For those things are a sure path to death. But now you have been set free from both of ways to follow the ways of the Great Spirit. Good fruit grows along this path as you walk in the sacred manner on the road that leads to the life of the world to come that never fades away, for beauty and harmony. Following the path of both of ways only earns us death. But Creator's free gift to us is the light of the world to come that never fades away, full of beauty and harmony. This free gift is ours and the Chosen One, who is our honored chief, Creator, sets free. May God have a blessing to the hearing of this word. Well, this summer we are looking at the lives of nine individuals who have sought to follow after the ways of Christ. We are trying to understand what it means to be a saint. We've reflected on that the last couple of weeks, and I love, I love the way this morning's reading puts that, that saintliness 
is a matter of walking in a sacred manner. If you follow a path, you will end up where it takes you. If you follow a path, you will end up where it takes you. Which path will you choose? I love, I love that way of putting it. You see, a path does not tell you where to go. It does not instruct you, and yet it leads. When we follow it, it goes where it leads. Once you start down a path, indeed, if you follow it, you'll end up wherever the path is taking you. It seems so plain and so simple, and yet, yet often I think we, we mistake that. It called to mind this experience that uh, we had a while back. We were driving as a family down around uh, North Attleboro, and we came uh, to, to a place in Plainville called Hawkins Woods. I didn't even know that was what it was called. I had to look it up later. But we saw this little park off to the side with walking trails, and so we pulled in, and we uh, got out of the car. And there wasn't just one trail. There were three, because it turns out there's a loop that runs through these woods, but there's also a, a, a Frisbee golf course back there among the trees. And so there are all these little paths that meander off through this dense would. And so we started and we confronted these three paths, and the question was, which, which shall we choose? Having no idea where any of the three went. And well, we decided, well, if all else fails, we can always retrace our steps and make it back to the parking lot one way or another. But we managed to figure out some of the layout, following the path to where it leads. We discovered there was a farm on the other side of the woods. We discovered all of the little Frisbee golf things. It's amazing how choosing a path can open up new vistas and new places of exploration. And that truly is a sense of freedom that you can get even from, even from following a path with a determinate end. And I remark on this because this is a very different translation of Romans 6 than you will typically find in your Bibles, in your NRSVs, your NIVs. The original Greek text, in fact, uh, Paul uses a very different metaphor in his letter to the Romans. He says in verse 16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? That was his chosen metaphor. To whom would you like to be a slave? doesn't sound like good news, does it? Metaphors at once tell us both too much and too little, I think. But that's the wonderful thing about the word. The word is, is reinterpreted through time in different places, through different and new words. We put new metaphors to them. And so the first Mason's version draws from the experience of indigenous people, of walking in the way. Of, of following paths into dense and unruly forests, and understands that, that that is what it means to follow God, not to be told to obey, but to be led and guided towards the good news of Christ. Paul is writing in the context of this irredeemable, unchangeable class division between slave and slave owner. This was the society in which he lived, and so that hierarchy infuses his writing 
but he is still talking about the same thing. He even says it towards the end. He says, all of this, if you are to obey God, obey Christ, follow in righteousness, it will lead to sanctification, to holiness, to becoming a saint. And so too, following the path will take you where it leads. The same message spoken in different words. True independence, true independence and freedom and liberty, these come from following the ways of God and forsaking the broken ways of sin. This is the central message of this morning's passage. It is the central message of the gospel. It is what it means to experience this spiritual regeneration, the sanctification of the individual that is salvation. But it is also the source of a vision, not just for the individual, but for society at large. A society where every individual has this liberty, has this freedom to be self-determining, both in the church and outside of it. It's a vision that is still, of course, in the making. Twelve, year, twelve score and six years ago, the Continental Congress could not meet because there was a massive infestation of horse flies in the Pennsylvania State House on the 3rd of July. But the next day, July 4th, they came and they ratified the Declaration of Independence, a document written to say that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, and that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and powers, and organizing its powers in such form, as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and their happiness. John Adams, on July 3rd of 1776, wrote a letter to his wife, Abigail, saying that the second day of July will surely be the most memorable in the history of America. Because that was the day they actually voted to declare independence from the British government. And to the day they died, Adams and Jefferson disagreed about which day was more important. Because Jefferson, of course, wrote the Declaration, but Adams thought July 2nd, the day they made the vote, that was the day to be commemorated. He said it ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance, commemorated with solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. He said it ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward, forevermore. And he says, I know, I know that this, is, this declaration is, is just the beginning, that there will be uh, blood and toil and treasure ahead, he says. Yet through the gloom I see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that the end is more than worth all the means, that posterity will triumph in that day's transaction. It is unfortunate, I think, that so much more toil and blood and treasure lay before Adams than he ever could have imagined, before those rays of ravishing light and glory would really break through. 
the gloom. Even in 1776, America was already in its becoming. As everyone who's from Massachusetts knows, this was not the beginning of the American Revolution. Patriots Day celebrates the beginning of the American Revolution at the battles of Lexington and Concord in 1775 on April 19th. I had to look that That was the beginning of the revolution, but even, even before that, revolution had been brewing in the country for some time. And in 1775, the Reverend Samson Ockham, who, as we said, was indeed the first ordained minister of the gospel in North America, in the New World, uh, he wrote a letter to the Oneida tribe, which were the folks that he was sent as a missionary to in, in upstate New York. And he said he was going to explain these quarrels among the white people to them. And he put it this way. He said, I will now give you a little insight into the nature of the English quarrels. Over the great waters, they got to be rich, I mean the nobles, and they are very proud, and they keep the rest of their brethren under their feet. They make slaves of them. The great ones have got all the land, and the rest are poor tenants, and the people in this country live more upon a level and are happy. And the former kings used to let the people in this country have their freedom and liberty, but the present king wants to make them slaves to himself, and so they are come over to kill them. And the people here are obliged to defend themselves. They don't want to go over to the over the Great Lake to kill them. And now I think you must see who is the oppressor and who is the oppressed. And now I think, he said, if you must join in on one way or the other, you can't join the oppressor but the oppressed. For God will help the oppressed. But let me conclude with one word of advice. Use all of your influence to your brethren so far as you have any connections, to keep them in peace and quietness, and not to intermeddle in these quarrels among the white people. The Lord Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Samson Ockham was born in 1723 uh, in Mohegan territory, which is in, uh, what would become the state of Connecticut. Uh, he grew up in uh, a traditional way among those people. And then at the age of 16, he heard rumors, he said, of, of, of these strange and wild preachers who were going about preaching the word of God with great power and conviction. He went to go listen to one of these preachers. And at, and at the age of 16, he, he said he was convicted. He was very troubled in mind after hearing of the dangers of sin and the need for salvation. This is a period known as the First Great Awakening, the time of Jonathan Edwards and uh, 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 George Tennant and um, uh, who else? Who else? Who else? George Whitfield. These great preachers who were preaching the need for conversion, for new birth, for new life, for the wages of sin is death, but the reward of faith in Christ is life eternal. And Ockham was convicted. He said at the age of 17, he describes it this way, he said that he, he experienced a change, he said, in himself. An utter absence of that worry and trouble of mind that he had when he was 16, because he placed his faith in Christ. 
After that, he went and was educated at the first school to train native people to be ministers to other native people. It was set up by a man named Eliezer Wheelock, and later would become Dartmouth College. To the great sadness of Samson Ockham, when it became Dartmouth College, they stopped admitting native students. But its original intention was to be a training ground because there was this recognition that the way to preach the gospel to the people of the new world was not to send these English preachers in there preaching hellfire and damnation using the words of, of, of gospel preaching they were familiar with, but to send ministers who understood the people in their life ways to help the gospel to land, to grow in the places they sent them. And so, Samson Ockham was sent. He was sent first to Long Island, to the Montauk people, he was ordained there and sent to the Oneida tribe in upstate New York and, and, and gained great renown, traveling all through the region, preaching in all different places. Thankfully, the, the Algonquin language family covered a multitude of tribes so that he could speak in his native Mohegan, but be understood in all sorts of other places. And he gained great reputation as this Christian minister, even as he lived in a wigwam his wife kept traditional ways. They raised their ten children, ten children together in a native community set apart from the English ones. It was Occam's belief, more and more, borne out by his experience first with Wheelock's betrayal, but then also others, that native people should remain autonomous, that they should hold on to their traditional life ways, but that did not preclude them from believing in the gospel. Because he truly believed that salvation in Christ was the key to the future longevity of Native people. It was part of the vision that, that motivated him to help establish a settlement, an intertribal settlement, a, a number of different tribes in upstate New York, a place that they could call their own, uh, much like uh, John Elliott set up in Native here in, in New England about 100 years before, a settlement of praying Indians. To. But this one was native-born, born of native people and native intentions. It would be a decidedly different place than those praying Indian settlements, and yet it would be subject to the same problems that they ran into in native and other places. You see, Occam recognized what Adams recognized, that there is indeed a ravishing light and glory in freedom and independence. Occam reiterated the necessity of liberty again and again. In an undated sermon that we have, he says, there is nothing more sweet and desirable than liberty and freedom in the world. Yea, it is sweet even to dumb creation, and there is nothing more disagreeable and irksome than servitude and confinement. Liberty is a precious gift from heaven, and it is the highest happiness of a rational creature, either in this world or in the worlds above, to enjoy freedom. And so we hear, we hear again today, that freedom comes from following the path, not the broken ways of sin, but the path laid out by Christ, walking in freedom, because Christ has set us free. And this is what I can recognize, that all beings, all human creatures, everyone among the race of Adam, as he often put it, all shared in this gift of heaven, mediated through Christ's redemption. 
In another sermon he preached on loving your neighbors. He was not afraid to say, what shall we think of those who have religion but are no Christians? The savage Indians, so they are called, are very kind to one another, he said. They love their neighbors. They are kind to strangers. But I find amongst those who are called Christians, those who are slave keepers. He asks, do you love God? Do you love your neighbor, your neighbor Negro as yourself? Are you willing to be slaves yourself and your children to be slaves too? If you can prove it from the Bible, he says, that Negroes are not the race of Adam, which he can't, then you may keep them as slaves. Otherwise, you have no more right to keep them as slaves than you have, than they have to keep you as slaves. He recognized the equality of humanity equally fallen but equally available to the redemption and spiritual regeneration in Christ. Jonathan Edwards called this process of sanctification the joyous pilgrimage of a soul through new birth to become alive to beauty. Occam said that when he discovered the way of salvation through Jesus, the distress and burden of his mind was removed, and he found serenity and pleasure of the soul. He found beauty in serving God, both moral beauty and aesthetic beauty. He was a product of that first great awakening, and to his critics among the natives, this made him a, a, a part of the white settler colonialist project. And often to the white settler colonialists, it made him a token an emblem. Look, look at what we have. We have an Indian preacher among us. He often remarks on how strange it is. He says to his white audiences, how strange it must be for you to come and see an Indian preaching gospel. Tongue-in-cheek. He was not above using dry wit to diffuse the situations. But in his character, in the fullness of his biography, it is clear that he was a convicted Christian who understood the gospel of freedom and liberty and was unafraid of proclaiming it in the context in which he lived, this mixed community of New England, where native people were almost equal in population to the New Englanders. In 1772, Ockham was invited to preach at the execution of a man named Moses Paul. At the time, there was this cottage industry of execution sermons. They would, people would be invited to pray at a public hanging and give a sermon, and then these would be published and circulated. It's a great appeal. People love to read these sermons. Perhaps it was because on the occasion of an execution in that space between life and a certain death, the gospel rings truer. But Occam did not miss his opportunity at this very public occasion to proclaim the gospel. First, he proclaimed it to the man who was to be executed, Moses Paul. Moses Paul was a Wampanoag man. He had, he had killed a white man in a drunken altercation in New Haven. And Occam preached to Moses Paul, and he said, look, the fact that you, you did this is, is, is unchangeable. What's done is done. At this point, you have no choice but to face your earthly fate. But he said he could still throw himself upon the mercy of God available to him in eternity. And then Occam turned and preached to the people, and he took a moment specifically to speak to what he called his poor kindred, saying, you see the woeful consequences of sin, seeing this 
our poor, miserable countrymen now before us. There is a dreadful woe denounced from the Almighty against drunkards. My poor kindred, do consider what a dreadful, abominable sin drunkenness is. God has made us men, and we choose to be beasts. God made us rational creatures, and we choose to be fools. Yea, nothing is too bad for a drunken man to do. It goes on. He preaches on this sin of drunkenness at length. And to some, it is him just furthering the stereotype of the drunken Indian, a stereotype we still, to some extent, carry in our culture today. But notice, notice his words there. God has made us men, God has made us rational creatures. They are not savages, he says. They are human beings. They care for their children, they care for their families, and if they care for that, they should care about the suffering wrought by drunkenness. It's interesting, I was just reading about um, all of these uh, disturbances on flights lately. It seems like there's been this great uptick in people just behaving badly out in public, but particularly on airplanes. And in most cases, when you see these videos of people throwing fits, grown adults throwing fits on airplanes, what you're actually seeing these drunk people in public, just losing their minds. The drinking has sort of increased, the vehicular deaths caused by drunkenness are also up. I mean, it's not... It is not wrong to say that there are consequences to over-imbibing. This is something that we all should know and observe. And he says, though, I cannot help but observe a woe denounced against men who put bottles to their neighbor's mouth to make them drunk. No doubt there are such devilish men amongst us these days. He can't come right out and say it. it's you English people. <laughs> But he's not afraid to say it. He's not afraid to connect the fact that we make our own choices, yes, and those can lead us into sin. But there are also situations created by others, these structures of power that, that can, can take us down the broken way as well. And at the conclusion of the sermon, he just says, fight all sins. Fight all sins. Fight anything that will keep you from being a rational creature. He says, fight especially the sin that easily besets you. The one that leads you down that broken way. Because the broken way is a wide path. It's inviting indeed. But that proclamation was both about individual conduct and a political vision. This idea of equality, of liberty, of freedom, of the equal worth of different lives. It was why he moved to set up that settlement independent of the English nation, to see the English and the indigenous as equals. And in the early days of the United States, this was the case. There was, there was this sort of ambiguity of authority, whether these tribes were American, whether they were under the authority of the United States government, or if they were independent. And that ambiguity persists today. The trouble is, the trouble is, is that the vision of liberty and equality proclaimed as the gospel in the Great Awakening and then lived out in the revolution that followed, that vision has still not yet been realized. It is a conflicted vision. 
And it is again and again evident that, that the path of the Great Spirit, the not broken path, is a winding and complicated line to follow. It does not go in a straight line of progress. The U.S. has never truly lived up to its ideals, this vision of a pluralistic democracy where everyone has a vote, everyone has a say, everyone is at total liberty. I mean, it wasn't even a real representative democracy until 1965 when the Voting Rights Act was passed. And even now, it's not clear that, 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 that self-determination by the people and for the people is the way of governance in this nation. The same is true of the church, of course. The vision of the congregational church is one of self-determination, of liberty, of collective discernment together. And that is, again, because God puts us at liberty to choose our own way to follow the Spirit where it leads. And Occam was, was received by churches in that spirit. And he proclaimed that good news both to the white church and to native churches. And he sought to walk that line between the two, to live that vision of the gospel that stretches across communities. And so we still wander. We still wander into these dense forests of our time, and we are still confronted by the choice of different paths, not sure where they lead. But we do have the freedom to choose. We have the freedom to choose, and we are empowered to do so through the redemptive promise of Christ in the gospel. And by seeking Christ's ways to persist, to confront the brokenness of this world, and to persist in righteousness. We have a vision before us of loving our neighbors, caring for one another, regardless of their race, for we are all human beings, regardless of their gender, regardless of their identity, their sexual orientation, all of these things that divide us fall away when we are led along the path to that vision of the world to come, full of beauty and harmony, as the scripture says to us. And so let us follow that road, that road that leads to the life of the world to come that never fades away, full of beauty and harmony. Thank you for listening. I hope this week's message has been a blessing to you. I know that having you listen to it is a blessing to our church. For more information about Union and its ministries, you can visit churchbythepark.org or find us on social media. Our handle is at churchbythepark. Our theme music is by the 126ers. Once again, blessings on your day, on your week, and may the peace of Christ be with you.